Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. It is pretty early on Thursday morning, so I'm not sure if there's enough time for everybody to get their questions in. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to politely remind everybody that I never intentionally miss anybody's question. It's almost always a scenario like this where, you know, maybe I'm going to be done recording. I'll refresh all the pages to make sure there are no new questions come in. And then you ask your question after I'm done recording, but before the video is up. So it seems like I missed it, but it really came in afterwards. So my apologies in advance if I did miss it. But as always, any questions you have, please just ask wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. Because the way these services work, I can never really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, I really love just kind of hanging out, talking as if we were sitting across from each other at a bar or coffee shop, whatever. I just, uh, I kind of like this laid back, you know, no intro, just jump right in and have a conversation feel to it. But anyway... Let's check out whatever questions we got this week. First up, over on Patreon, the Remora wanted to first confirm that they were talking about the OpenMVS project last week. So cool, I got that question right. Uh, and also, they wanted to offer some info on the question Buster D asked about swapping an SNES and Super Famicom case. Apparently, the only difference involving the board is the molding of the plastic around the power and video out. The Super Famicom and most likely the PAL SNES have a step where the SNES is just straight across. Getting one of the aftermarket SNES power input jack replacement panel that Console 5 and others sell takes care of that, though. Here's a photo showing the differences to it. Um, so it's kind of angled versus stepped, uh, but that's a great thing to note. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. I think you could probably try to desolder and re-add another one as well, but... You know, it's in the back. You don't see it. A 3D printed version. One of the aftermarkets are probably both great. So thanks. I appreciate it. And also, um, a couple of questions about the Big 6 controller. Um, they're considering adding a wireless Big 6 for their Genesis. They're currently happy with the 2.4 gig wireless Saturn controller they recently picked up. Uh, and they just wanted to see if... Uh, they were able to to use the Genesis one if I recommended it. And unfortunately, the Genesis adapter for the Saturn controller is no longer available. So they were thinking maybe use the big six. Uh, so a couple of things on that. First, um, the original launch firmware for the Retrobit wireless Saturn controller was really laggy. It was bad. I used it just for testing when I needed a wireless controller, but never for gaming. And then I since got rid of it, and a bunch of people have told me that the newer firmwares fix some of that. I was also testing it in the middle of Manhattan at the time, and as I've word vomited more times than I'd like to remember, uh, the more 
the more wireless networks around you, the more interference and the more issues. And that's with every wireless device. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere, even the launch for firmware might've been totally fine for you. But either way, if you're running it and that one, it seems good enough, then the big six one probably would be good enough. But here's the problem. You said, uh, you know, the first sentence that I, I skipped over on purpose uh, in your second paragraph was, I know you said you were disappointed in the latency of the big six controller. So I was disappointed in the consistency of RetroBits products. Six milliseconds of latency is totally fine. And in fact, I seriously doubt that even myself, who is very sensitive to lag, would notice the difference between six milliseconds and one millisecond. The problem that I have is you can't just rely on RetroBit stuff. You have to test it because if they already have and sold USB chipsets that are one milliseconds of latency, why would they switch to one that's six? And I'm bringing that up and I'm answering your question in this order to tell you that I, before testing the big six, might have said something like, well, if the Saturn wireless one is good enough for you, then the Genesis big six one wire wireless one might be as well. But how could we know if they're that inconsistent in their products? Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. Maybe it's identical. We just don't know. And that's the problem. But as far as how did it feel? I didn't play for hours on it, but it felt great. It was comfortable. The buttons all seemed to be in a great position. I totally agreed with everybody else's review of it. Um, Classic Gaming Quarterly and Beast both chimed in and they both liked it. So I agreed with everything they had to say. So I would say, try it and see. Um, you know, hopefully you'd be able to pick one up and uh, it just works perfectly for you. And I don't know if anybody has lag tested the wireless big six. You might want to double check on pork sheet. And if they haven't, and anybody wants me to test one, either drop ship it to me and I'll, I'll ship it back to you or we'll figure something else out. But I will gladly lag test any of that stuff for you. But it just the only disappointing part isn't the latency. It's just simply the whole can you rely on any of their future products? So yeah, hopefully that sums it up. Tim the Gamer said they went to look up something on the RetroRGB website and it linked to the Sega 16 forums. And every time they tried the link, it was dead and returned a 404 error. Yeah, that just happens sometimes. There was a long time where Sega 16 from my phone would go to like an ad site. I, I thought they got hacked or shut down at one point, but then I jumped on it on my desktop browser and it was there. I'm not really sure. You might want to contact them. I think on Twitter, you might be able to get a hold of them. I've never spoken to anybody who runs Sega 16. I'd like to someday, but I think I've reached out and they never reached, they never responded or something, but that's not, that's not anything that bothers me. I'm so busy all the time. I could only imagine how many people I accidentally blew off. So I never hold a grudge for stuff like that, but yeah, I just, I don't really know what's up with that. But to continue Tim's questions, um, how do we as a retro community preserve not just games and hardware, but the knowledge on the internet? Is anyone compiling or storing the vital stuff somewhere? Yeah, consolemods.org. That was the whole purpose of the wiki. Um, in fact, Durf has done a great job as well as all the contributors moving a lot of stuff over from retro RGB. I have failed miserably on my end of the bargain. I just, I need to sit, I need to take like a week off and go hide somewhere in a hotel room and just only work on the website and clean it up. But that's just not feasible. Anytime I stop doing something to work on the website, something else doesn't get done. Um, and you know, the promise that I make to all of you who support is that I get 
you know, at least the weekly podcast out and try to get continue all of the posts and all of the behind the scenes research and development, which I'm starting to do a lot more live. I'm sorry if they're boring, but at least I get to show you all just a glimpse of some of the stuff that I do behind the scenes. A lot of it I still just can't talk about just because it's not ready. I don't want bad info out from a product that's an alpha state that by the time it hits public, it's going to be amazing. But if you saw it now, you'd be like, well, that's garbage. Why would anybody want it? So it's not fair to anybody. So yeah, that's why I got to kind of still be secretive, closed about a lot of the stuff I work on. Uh, But yeah, I don't know how I just got off on a tangent about that. But the wiki is the answer, period. And Durf and I both agree that we need to make that last as long as humanly possible for this exact reason. So I'm kind of hoping that it catches on and people still go to whatever place they feel the most comfortable chatting. Sega 16, Discords, doesn't matter. I mean that respectfully. Um, go wherever you're most comfortable to chat. But once an answer has been a- achieved or a theory, put that up on the wiki. And we'll keep, you know, and just be honest. Like, hey, this is work in progress. It seems great on the three units we tried, but we need more people to test. Or we've tried this on hundreds and it seems great on all. Just be honest and post the info there. So that is absolutely something that I would strongly push everybody to do. And the only reason I haven't done more for the wiki or pointing retro RGB stuff to it is just simply time. I need to clone myself and put one of me just on the website. And, you know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg scenario, I guess. But I'm trying to make time for it. I just don't know how. So, yeah, the wiki is the answer. And I've been failing miserably on that. But everybody who, you know, Durf and the crew have all been doing an excellent job. So thank you to them. And please consider signing up and posting and porting anything over from any other site. And just, you know, all the normal wiki stuff, credit where credit's due. And, you know, just be honest and don't put opinions on the wiki. Put facts. Opinions are for chat sites, retrorgb.com. The wiki is supposed to be just tech stuff. So yeah, that's where to go. Tony Escobar has a Mr. question. What's up, Tony? Um, they've been in touch with both Pork from Mr. Add-ons and Greg from LaserBear about this. One of their their misters has issues with HDMI output. The screen flickers, then cuts to black and reloads. Originally, it was only when they connected it to the 1536p iPad screen from LaserBear, but they've run a few tests with other video modes, and they were all stable. It just seemed that one special setting was what was extremely unstable. They were watching My Life in Gaming when it occurred to them to try a different HDMI cable, so they bought a high-speed 4K HDMI 2.0 cable, but it didn't work. However, it seemed to work well with 1080p until recently. Now there's significant flickering when the Mr. Boots, always in the upper left corner, and the screen is even blacked out once. When they run the update all script, code warbles on the screen, Pork asked to try with 720p and it was stable, no flickering, and the update all script was crystal clear. Question is, is it the D10 nano board? Could it be faulty HDMI? They actually took apart the mister at Pork and Greg's suggestion and added a heat sink, but that doesn't seem to have done anything. So my gut is telling me cable because that's what it's always been when I've run into similar issues. Now, I'd like to very politely remind you that there's been a few times where stuff like this has happened to me that all of my friends who are smarter than me said cable. And I went, screw you, it's not the cable. I already bought another cable. And it was the cable. (laughs) So 
you know, kind of just a, a quick aside. My first job ever, I was 19. It was an IT job and the IT administrator was 66 years old, just like a curmudgeonly old man. And every time I walked in, I was like, hey, David, is it plugged in? Uh, yeah, it's, it's not the question. Is it plugged in in the right place? Uh, yeah, David, that wasn't the question. Is it plugged in using the right cable? And I just would walk out of the room and that old guy was right almost every freaking time, every single time. Uh, so that's kind of what I always go back to. The brand cable is important because I personally buy no-name junk all the time. And partly because I'm cheap, but also partly because it's kind of my job to figure out what's the cheap stuff that doesn't suck. However, that's the difference between buying a $100 cable versus a $5 cable is with some exceptions, there's always scam companies out there, getting the good stuff would guarantee that it would always work correctly. And that's why if you're testing high-end audio video equipment and you go to a lot of these shops, they'll try to sell you a really expensive cable partially for their margins, but this is the other thing. You could just kind of remove all of this. But it's not just the cable, it's the length of the cable, it's the receivers, it's the angles of the cable, you know, go back to the, the, the old guys, is it plugged in thing, right? Just kind of root from that and branch out. So that long rambly story was basically to tell you that, is it, can you try a shorter cable? Can you try anything? Is there anything between the cable and the displays? And can you try anything else that has to do with how that cable connects. Maybe take the DE10 all apart. And I do realize, by the way, what a giant pain in the ass this is. But maybe take everything apart. Take it out of the case. Sit it on a desk. Make sure to put cardboard or something so it doesn't short. And pl plug the HDMI cable in and look with a magnifying glass or a set of glasses if you're old like me and you needed to get glasses. And look in and see, are, is there any cracks? Is there any bending? Is there any pressure being put? Because maybe the problem was that you just had a, a bum DE10 with a bad HDMI port and the pins, you know, maybe the, the connection itself on the pins isn't perfect. And that's kind of the thing with high-speed HDMI stuff. If you put a 480p signal through it, a lot won't catch. But if you start putting really high-speed signals through it, you know, cold solder joints that you would need a microscope to even tell are cold might start to matter. So there's always a chance of any of these things. However, I like to always start with the absolute easiest. Get another cable. I'll link to the exact ones that I just bought. Uh, for the, you know, the same thing. Somebody was telling me it's the cable. Turned out wasn't the cable, sort of. That was that whole story with my receiver where switching the cable didn't help, but it turned out that the receiver is just a pass-through with no amplification whatsoever. So technically it was the cable because the cable was too long. I put a splitter between and that totally fixed it. I don't think putting a splitter between is the answer for yours. I just giving another stupid example of why I'm telling you to change a cable. So I don't know, maybe this was a terrible answer, Tony. Maybe I rambled for five minutes when I should have just dropped you a link to a cheap cable that I've tested, but I wanted you and everybody else to kind of hear the whole story of why people might keep suggesting the same thing and why you're probably pulling your hair out going, I've already done that. So hopefully, you know, hopefully this all came out the right way. I obviously meant it positive with a smile, but try a different cable, then try completely disassembling, leaving the DE10 on a, um, on a, a desk or something and seeing if that helps. And if nothing else, it might be a bad DE10. It could be a bunch of other stuff, but 
yeah, that's um, cable's the next step. That's a pain in the ass. Sorry you're going through this, but you know, this is kind of welcome to a day of my life, right? So uh, every time you think you've got something done, something else breaks and you have to spend all day chasing down the problem. But the, you know, the only silver lining, if you will, is this could happen with any device, a Blu-ray player, you know, an Xbox One X or the Mister. It's not really something that, or it probably isn't something to do with the Mister. It's probably an HDMI related thing. So my answer sucked let me know and i'll do better next time but i, I kind of wanted to lay the whole thing out just to give anybody listening peace of mind oliver clear has both a sega tower of power setup as well as an analog mega sg and they want to connect the two consoles permanently with a link cable for zero tolerance in doom resurrection 32x zero tolerance is an original game that's like a doom ripoff first person shooter and if you use a cable that plugs into the controller 2 port of two Genesis consoles or Mega Drive or whatever, you could play head to head against each other, which is awesome. I remember mailing away for that cable as a kid and then never actually doing anything with it. But um, the technology behind that was implemented into the complete remake of the 32X version of Doom called Doom Resurrection 32X. And uh, that also is a very cool reason to use the link cable. But the question is, um, so you need then two copies of the game, one running on something like a Mega EverDrive Pro, which um, it looks like Oliver already has, and then you could get the original Zero Tolerance sort of cheap, but then how would you play Doom Resurrection 32X? Um, so Oliver wants to know, can you just get a really cheap Mega EverDrive X3 refurbished from Stone Age Gamer or something? And I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. I messaged Vic to ask uh, one of the, the main developer behind 32X Doom Resurrection, and I haven't gotten a response yet, but if I'm remembering correctly, which I might not, it's pretty early. <laughs> um, if I'm remembering correctly, that was built in a way, the, the rebuild of that game was made in a way that could have run in the 90s. That could have been a game that Sega put on a cartridge and ran. So. I'm pretty sure you could just use the cheapest EverDrive, or if you know anybody who makes quality 32X reproductions, uh, maybe that would be something you could try as well. I don't remember anybody doing that, and I don't know if anybody's tried making those, and that's always a slippery slope, right? Because now you're making and selling somebody else's intellectual property, but I think just having a Mega EverDrive X3 refurb and putting that in zero tolerance on it would probably be totally fine for the other one. Um, so I'll message you or I'll, I'll even follow up next week. Actually, if, uh, if there's a, a change to that, I'll, if Vic gets back to me, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I'm pretty sure that's going to work totally fine, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. A couple of more from Oliver. First, they currently own an unmodified TurboGrafx-16 that they use with an SSD S3 and a Mega Drive 2 RGB SCART cable. They were wondering if the Turbo Nanza mod would add anything worthwhile to the setup in that scenario. Um, my strong personal opinion, if your setup's working fine, no, leave it, leave it alone, because um, what you're talking about is quality RGBS output with stereo audio and full optical drive emulation, which you have. The one thing the Turbo Nanza would add is S-Video output, which I don't think that you would need. Plus, you would then have to mod your console versus having a plug-and-play option. So my gut is telling me just leave well enough alone. That's an awesome setup. No complaints whatsoever for that. Next, Oliver was kind of wondering, is 
a TurboGrafx-16 the first console that offered stereo audio, and does it even count as offering stereo audio if it only shipped with an RF jack on the back? Um, as far as the first one, is it the first console that shipped with stereo audio? I think so. Um, would you count a PC? Would you not count a PC? I don't really know. Uh, but that's kind of a fun one that might be up for debate. If anybody in the comments can, has any thoughts on that, please let us know. But it is absolutely, without a doubt, a stereo console, because much like the Genesis that may have just shipped with an AV cable and the RF jack, that is definitely a stereo audio console. Now, Genesis has that 3.5 millimeter jack in the front, but it didn't come with a 3.5 millimeter audio cable, didn't come with headphones, but it's definitely still stereo audio. And that's the same with the Turbo Graphics. You would have had to have bought one of their add-on adapters to get composite video and stereo out of it, but it definitely does offer that without any mods. You just plug it in the same way that you would with the Genesis. So if anybody disagrees with that, please let me know. Um, you know, I'm always open to new opinions and stuff like that. But I mean, it's, I would be shocked if anybody really disagreed. If from the factory, all you have to do is plug something in and stereo audio appears, then to me personally, that means stereo audio is definitely available. And uh, even one other layer on top of that, the games that offer stereo audio were programmed with different audio channels, whereas the NES, uh, maybe there's some way to do a plug and play mod on the you know the bottom port that get that separates the audio channels. I don't think so, but let's just pretend it was. Those games were still programmed with mono audio in mind. There was never intentional programming of this is coming out of the left speaker, this is coming out of the right speaker. So regardless of if there was some kind of plug and play thing you could do it's still a console that is a mono audio console. So those are just my thoughts. Um, you know, I'm always open to anybody else's opinion, so fire away if you have them, but I'm pretty sure I got those right. Now over on Floatplane, RetroShawn said, with respect to the microphones used, I think the mic used for the weekly roundup was slightly better, but the levels would drop a bit. So I don't know if that was the mic or the configuration. For the camera, the test cam seemed to have some minor problems with autofocus. Otherwise, it looked more like you were using a movie camera than previously. Um, thank you. I'm still, I'm still kind of getting everything set up here. Uh, since this is appears to be the last question of the week, I'm going to ramble on about it. But if you don't care about my test setup anymore, please, please, please close the YouTube window, shut off your podcast, whatever. I never want to waste people's time. Uh, but this week, I have... So do I have the box handy for it? No, I don't. But I have the Shure uh, SM7B, and that was the mystery mic. And I didn't want to say which microphone that was because it's like the most famous podcasting mic. So I didn't want to skew any of the results, but that's what I've been using this week. The other microphone that I used was the same one that I used in New York. I just kept it rather than right in front of my face. I kept it maybe six inches away or something. Um, and the only thing I'm still waiting on is a new arm has to arrive because the one I have now it's it was like the $18 version I don't th I think I've been through three of these in the past four years which you know it's like a dollar a month to to use one of these so I finally bit the bullet and I bought like a $60 one which should be better there was one that was like 140 that looked awesome but that's more than twice the price so I'm gonna try the mid tier one and I'll add all that to the Amazon shop as well so I think this is going to be a good setup because I think I could still have the mic just off camera. I mean, it's right. You could kind of, yeah. So if you're watching on video, you'd see it appear up. So I think I could have it just, just off camera. So I still look the same way that I did, 
but cut down on some more of the background noise and everything. And lucky enough, a good friend of mine was willing to trade me the D80S mic for the SM7B. So this got to be, we both kind of won. He gets a really awesome boom mic for when you need a boom mic and I get to try to improve the audio quality. Funny enough though, the problem I had today was the, the Keo Razer, the 4K30 slash 1080p60 webcam that I've been using. For whatever reason, when I turn the brightness up on it, or I have an auto mode and the brightness is up, the frame rate seems to drop. And I, I mean, it was driving me crazy this morning. I tried multiple USB cables. I tried reflashing the firmware and it got way worse. I had to do like a factory reset after the firmware flash and all that stuff. And so I don't really know. I would love for this to be, uh, I think this might be the best permanent setup where the Keo Razer Pro is sitting on the mic stand behind me. It's light enough actually, where I might even be able to get a cheap ceiling mount and not have to worry about, you know, ripping a hole in the ceiling because I have a big heavy camera set up on there. So that might actually work. That might be kind of the, the good solution. But I also like that I could just grab that mic stand and then add that for a different angle for, for working on stuff. I think the camera over there is that Sony camera. I think that's probably a good place for that. I just have to run a long HDMI cable and a power cable around, but that's totally doable. And then of course I still have my GH5 for anything fancy. I still love this camera. This is my favorite camera I've ever used. I, someday I'd like to check out what the GH6 offers over it, but honestly, that's still my favorite. Um, but I mean, I think the Keo webcam that I'm using now, I think I look better than I did with that Sony camera from before. Um, I didn't turn on the background blurring this time just because I was having so many problems setting this thing up, but I think this is a good enough weekly setup. And I just, you know, I, I just want to make sure I'm clear, even through my rambling, that it's not like I care less about the weeklies. I care very much about these, the Q&As, the roundup, the pod, you know, the speaking podcast that I do with people, which I got to start doing those more often. You know, I, I care very much, but the reality is how I look makes almost zero difference to the total presentation, unless it's distracting. Basically, if it's not so bad that it's distracting, then it should be fine. But I actually think this looks pretty good. So I think I'm going to settle on this setup, assuming the new arm works fine, assuming the webcam doesn't freak out. Because I mean, I probably wasted 40 minutes on this stupid webcam before recording this Q&A, and I don't have 40 minutes to throw away on stuff like that. So if it's consistent, cool. If it's not, I might try to return it, which I think it's long past the return period. But you know, it's a lot of money. It was a $300 webcam. So I'm really hoping for a lot better performance than this. But hopefully this week's Q&A came out okay. So, you know, let me know if you have any other thoughts on it. Well, that's it for this week. I already gave the whole where to post your question spiel at the beginning, so I just wanted to say thank you as always. I really appreciate everybody who contributes in any way, and I also really love doing these Q&As, and I'd like to try to find a way to be a little more interactive and kind of have some more fun. So if you have any suggestions, let me know. But honestly, really just thank you very much.